Hello, welcome back to Who Let the Dogs Out, a podcast where I chat life with cool people doing awesome things. Today, you'll hear from Marco Placidi, he, him, who is the oldest member of this podcast so far. Today, you'll hear him chat a little bit about his life journey from Italy to Singapore, life philosophy, friendships evolving, fun acronyms like UBI, MA, ChatGPT, and Italian things. Hope you enjoy. Um, yeah, things have been really yeah. good. I have heard your your COVID problems through your podcast yeah. intros. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, and I know I can see that too because you have so many episodes. I've been trying to keep up. I thought I was doing a good job and then I realized I'm falling further and further behind. So your productivity is outrageous. Yeah, I must say, it was the first hobby that I actually have in my life. I've enjoyed doing a lot of things, but I think I was perfecting that into a way. Hiking and biking was kind of a hobby as well, but I don't do them as frequently as this. So yeah, I'm really into it right now, but module is on Friday. So I'm sure I'm going to take a two-week break from there. I I put no pressure on myself to do anything in any sort of timeline, but I don't know. Just, I guess I've been talking a lot recently. And hopefully listening to Very nice. Yeah. No, I think you have made me think I should do this with my friends. <laughs> Sounds so yeah. interesting what you learn. How are your gym and working out endeavors with that Thailand trip as well? Have you continued to train after? Yeah, funny enough. Yes, I've signed up to a CrossFit gym and I am going pretty regularly, two, three times a week. I found a way to incentivize myself to go, which is... I track how much it costs me per time to go. <laughs> and so I aim to keep it below a certain amount that I think is reasonable. And that means that I got to go. <laughs> but no, CrossFit is quite fun. It's, I enjoy that there's a lot of variety and then I don't need to think. So I always found the gym very boring. Sorry, listeners that like the gym, but my mind wanders around. I lose track of what I'm doing and I start thinking about my stuff. And then I try listening to a podcast and it's even more distracting it works even less so this one you come in there's a program you have to follow like every minute every 30 seconds you gotta swap around so you actually have to use your brain to keep up with where you're going and 40 minutes 50 minutes fly by so it's quite fun wow that is intense 40 minutes of crossfit is no easy feat. do you feel you like that structure and group shared activity in other parts of your life as well? I love group activities. With exercise, I guess it depends. <laughs> I love sports in general. I like playing with people. I play some tennis. I was trying to do that more. I've always enjoyed team sports. I used to play basketball when I was young. With the gym, I'm a little bit more intimidated, to be honest. There's a lot of very fit people. I'm a little bit more on the fence with my interaction. And also, you don't have as maybe as much time to, to really cooperate. So they do try, right? All these gyms tend to try to want to build a community. What I've noticed is even though I'm only two months in, they already started giving me all the new people that join. And they're like, oh, you are a new person. Go and pair up with Marco on this. Because you typically do stations in two or three people. I've already become the person that gets assigned all the newbies in my classes but you don't do that much interaction you exchange a few words here and there and stuff so yeah i can understand why they chose you to be the one do you speak singlish what's like the type of languages used in your daily life whether that's work crossfit class and at home as well with your girlfriend yeah i don't know if i would qualify singlish as a language <laughs> it's more of a slang on english with a bunch of Chinese grammar spoken in English words, basically. My girlfriend doesn't really use it that much, and she doesn't have a strong accent. I guess you use it somewhat in interactions, like if you're buying food from a local stall and those type of things. Chinese would go a much longer way than any English, but for a lack of Chinese, speaking with a more localized way helps out for sure. I think it's mostly expressions and cadence and things. I pick up a few things here and there. I say them for fun, but people try to speak as good English as they can. People speak good English here. Yeah, that makes sense. I visited there a week back in 2019, I think. So it's been a hot 
second and being there only a week, there was so much going on in the environment. I didn't really think about the language that much. But now that I'm living here in Brazil for a brief amount of time, language is super, super important to me. And then I wondered, oh my gosh, I went to all these places and didn't even learn the basics of it. But it's so hard when you're only there for such a short duration. Yeah, yeah No, I typically I am quite praised by whoever I meet locally. They go, oh, you know how to order your coffee or your local food. And of course, these things keep their heritage name, whether it's yeah. from Malay or from Chinese or from other languages. So you got those you have to learn. And so typically it makes quite a fun conversation totally. with, with locals from my side. Yeah. Um, people in other countries outside of English speaking, Chinese speaking, Spanish speaking are so appreciative when you just know the basic. I feel yeah. I have just way less grace on myself on how much I know in a month, which I started learning before I came because I knew it would take me a long time to ramp up. Language learning is not something that comes easily to me. But even now, a month in, I'll say the things that they already know I know how to say. And they're like, oh my gosh, like your Portuguese is really improving. And I'm like, I literally just said the same thing that I did yesterday. But it gives you a lot of credibility and love, I feel like, if just on the basic things. But yeah, that expectation is like 100%. so low, I feel. No, 100%. When people tell me that they're going to Italy, for those that don't know, I'm originally from Italy. One of the things I always say is people will be surprisingly more welcoming to you if you try to say two words in Italian before you switch to English. It's fine. You can switch to English right after. But if you just learn how to say, I don't speak Italian in Italian, and then you speak English, you'll be surprised how far that goes compared to just straight away assuming that they will understand your English, which in a lot of these countries is the English language skill is very limited. So yeah. Yeah. I no, absolutely. I want to get to the point where I can think in Portuguese as well, where I yeah. feel like you could just sit and talk to yourself and it would be so entertaining. Yes. And I feel if you can think in a different language, that's changing the way you frame or even brainstorming and creativity. But that feels so far away. Right now, I'm just attempting to be a yeah. really bad translating machine, but there's steps. I think as someone who has also learned English as their second language, so gone through that process, for me, I specifically remember two steps of that learning where I went, oh gosh, I really get it now. And one is one that probably everybody knows, and Italian is when you start dreaming in another language, which is quite quite telling that your mind has already gotten used to that but for me the other one that was very telling I remember I was walking on the street I was listening to Blink-182 which had always been one of my favorite bands and I listened to the same songs over and over again and all of a sudden I realized wait I actually understand what they're talking about I actually understand the words it's not that just I learned them because you know the lyrics for the, your favorite songs. I actually understand what they're saying. That to me was the moment that I went, oh, okay. <laughs> I finally get it. That's incredible. My small win so far is that I went somewhere, I don't know. And on the wall, it said USA. And I read it as Uza, which is used uh -huh. in Portuguese. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why does it say that? <laughs> oh, shit. There we go. So that was the smallest win I could think of. But no, I haven't had that like awakening period yet. So hopefully it hits in the next six months. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Keep trying. You'll get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about how you got from Italy to Singapore? And feel free to take it whatever direction as you wish. We can expand from there. Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Marco. I'm originally from Italy. As we mentioned, I was born in 1990, which that might make me the oldest guest on this podcast so far. Yes, yeah. that's great to know. Congratulations. <laughs> Yes, but I was born in, I would say, for global standards, small town, for Italian standards, it's considered a city called Perugia, which is probably only about 150,000 people in a place called Umbria. Umbria is the only landlocked region in the whole of Italy that is not up in the mountain, up in the north, even though people associate Italy with coastline and beach and 
holidays. My home region is actually very rural. It looks a lot more like your pictures of Tuscany, but with a lot less polish, with a lot, lot less polish. It's a much poorer area and a much more underdeveloped place than Tuscany ever is. Tuscany is way, way richer. Since I was a kid, I was quite lucky to be exposed to a fairly atypical family. My dad it was for a long time an entrepreneur. He sold his own business. So when I grew up, when I was very small, zero to five, he basically worked part-time slash didn't work for a whole while. So I was very lucky to have him grow me up. And then my, my mom, she's from Milan, so a much bigger place. And she also had a fairly tumultuous history with her personal history. So they were always quite atypical. They got married after I was born. So I was two and there's some pictures of them getting married <laughs> with me. Especially you have to imagine in a place like Baruja, which is quite conservative, that all those things were quite rare and atypical. So I was lucky that they pushed me to do a lot of things that, to be honest, kids just do whatever their parents tell them to do for the most part. Since I was nine or 10, um, they made me go to learn English in the summer. There's something, this might be very foreign concept to non-Southern Europeans, but in Southern Europe, Spain, France, Italy, it's very common to do something called a study holiday. So a study holiday is a summer holiday that you do with a school, an organization where you go to UK, Ireland, US, and you go to learn a language, right? to learn English, of course, because that's considered right, an important one. The problem with all these things is that you go in a gigantic group of 30, 40 people, you meet another two, 300 people that are all from Italy. And as you can imagine, the amount of English you actually speak is extremely limited. <laughs> you might come back with less English than actually what you knew before. So when I was 10, I went to London and I did one of these. And it was pretty much not effective at all. My parents thought, okay, this didn't really work, but we still need to make our kid learn English. And I have never been particularly good with languages. So independently, they basically found a lady in Ireland that would connect them with families and host me and a friend or two at max in their homes. And we would go and sign up to a school locally and they organized that very much homebrew version of this. So for two summers, when I was 13 and 14, I went to Dublin for a month. And that was a lot more effective in me learning anything, right? Because you have to interact with a family, they take care of you, they give you food and all that. So even if you meet some Italians, when, you, when, you, when you're in the school, you are exposed to a lot more English. I still remember the first day I arrived, they cooked me a gigantic dish of spaghetti with all sort of random things, including pineapple and chicken and all, I don't know what else. And if any of you has any appreciation for Italian cuisine, you know that these are all ingredients that you don't put in there. You try to be polite. So I ate it and I ate it all. And it was like 300 grams. It was like a ridiculous amount. It was a portion for three, four people. And then they asked me something and I with my limited English skill, didn't really want a disappointment. So I said, yes, because I assumed they asked me if I liked it. But they actually asked me if I wanted more. And so I got a whole other fortune, the same size. So yeah, that's what happens with this. But that's how you learn a language too, right? So then when I was 17, I ended up doing a year abroad in, in Canada, in Vancouver. So people call it an exchange, but it's not really an exchange in my case, because I didn't really exchange with someone else from the other side, I just paid to go. And Vancouver was really fun. It was a really good time. You're 17, you're by yourself in another country, right? Really cool. I did all sorts of things that I thought only existed in the movies, like play for the basketball team at the high school and went skiing by myself, which to me seemed like crazy because for me, the ski mountains are like six hour drive away from my hometown. So for me, it was just a family activity. I could never just take and go. And that's when I started eating food that wasn't really Italian as well, because in my hometown, there's probably two Chinese restaurants that cook. I don't think any Chinese person would ever call that Chinese. And, and that's about it. So I started eating Japanese food. I had bubble tea for the first time. I remember all sorts of things. So it was very fun. And that's where I became, of course, much more fluent with, with English. And then I came back for one year 
when I was 18 to finish my high school, get my diploma. And then I went to university in the UK, in Southampton on the southern coast of England. And I studied aeronautical engineering, which turned out to be a very fun course, very fun time. Uh, I, I did a master on MNG, so that's four years there. And then when I graduated, I joined Halma, which is the same company that you are in for those they might have picked that up and I did the same exact program that you are doing, but just much earlier, right? So in 2013, that was the second year they were running it. So there were a lot of rough edges there and a lot of things to figure out, which made it quite fun. Over the two years that I was there, I did six months in the UK. I did six months in Northern Kentucky. Really, I lived in Cincinnati, but the business was based on the other side of the river. So in Northern Kentucky, and that was a very fun time. I felt very similar to some extent the parallels you're feeling now i remember going for the first time on an alcohol drive through store right and i was like wow this thing exists i didn't even know my boss was a mormon so i ended up doing all these mormon things with him that was really strange but also it's quite fun i ended up attending a pork barbecue ribs cook-off competition i wasn't cooking i was just eating also the very midwestern thing was it was very fun uh, and then i did a rotation here in singapore actually back in 2015 for six months I got a chance to travel a bit around the region too and then i moved back to the us in connecticut with my last rotation and there i stayed in my role so that's where I was doing M&A. So quite a different thing from engineering, but very fun. And location-wise, we're talking about traveling a lot. I started traveling very much. I probably did 200,000 miles for a couple of years of flying, training trade shows, going to see companies to potentially acquire, all sort of meetings. I was very lucky because I was in this very junior role and I was working with a very senior team. So the exposure I got was really something I would have never had a chance to do otherwise. And then in 2018, I moved in my current role, actually current role until two months ago with my Alma team in, in, in the innovation space. So really looking at investments, startups, helping the company innovate. So lots of different innovation related activities. And that's where we met through your rotation to you join our team for six months. And then since March, I moved on to a new company. And now I am their head of Venture Studio, which always takes a little while to explain. But fundamentally, I help my company incubate new ventures and basically spin out new businesses in innovative areas in kind of the tech space. Wow. Where I, here I am. That is amazing. Okay, I'll try to go a little bit chronological. So you mentioned at the beginning that kids pretty much just do what their parents put them in or encourage them. How do you think they continue to guide your life today? And was there an inflection point where you felt you were more independent of your Mm -hmm. decision? There's different steps, probably, of independence. I think my mother is a very... (laughs) strong-headed person. She has a very clear idea of what's good for us, but without imposing her views necessarily, but just strong belief in those. And so it's not so much that I was forced to do things, is that I was encouraged to, and when you see her believing them in so much, you go, okay, this must be good if she's strongly believing it. So for example, when I chose to do year abroad, that was a scary thing to do at the time. And She didn't really tell me what exactly to do, but she said, look, you have to be fluent in English and you have to figure this out. You have to go abroad and learn. So you can figure out how you want to do this, but this is your task. (laughs) And so I picked up, okay, cool. Let's go to a new country. And I said, let's go to the US. And then she had some reservations there. And I was like, okay, I'll go as close to the US as I can go without going there. And so I went to Vancouver, which is just the other side of the border. I think Vancouver was good for kind of personal independence. I remember one time, I ran out of toothpaste and it sounds like such a silly story, but in the back of my head, I went, oh gosh, now I need to go buy toothpaste. And then I realized, wait, my mom is not here. I will not brush my teeth for two days. (laughs) And that was my rebellion moment. It's like, I am in control of my own destiny. (laughs) If I don't want to buy toothpaste, I want. That probably was a big change for me, like on my kind of personal independent life, right? The small decisions that you make every day. But I think it's, probably taking quite a lot longer before you there's a moment I think where I realized 
I actually have more information and I'm better equipped to make a decision than they are. And they can actually listen to me to some extent, like my mother, my dad, and, but they are not anymore in that position where they actually know, and it's a good thing to listen. I think choosing a job, I wasn't particularly known. So it was a bit of a black box thing, but there was, I still feel that I probably was still leaning on their approval to some extent, but certainly in my last maybe four or five years, as I've more mature professionally as well, the kind of things that I have to face, decisions professionally, especially, they're very distant from their world. And I think that's where it has really hit me. They can't really help me anymore. They can listen. They're not really able to influence that very much anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. What sorts of factors are important to you now when making some of these life decisions, who are the people who you lean on? I do like to listen and share when I have a decision to make, but I tend to still go with my gut feel for the most part. I guess I spend a surprising amount of time kind of sharing or listening to other people's opinion, but I don't spend a huge amount of time actually reflecting on them. It's more, I like to absorb what other people have to say and learn their different point of views, but then I still don't spend a crazy amount of time evaluating my decision. I go, if it feels about right, okay, let's go and do it. Yeah, that's my framework. Fair enough. A teaser into your MBTI. So after living across so many different places, how do you land on Singapore? And what do you think makes the area unique? At the time when I moved here, I was just open to relocating to Asia. I just had lived in North America. I lived in Europe and I wanted to add Asia for personal reasons. I just wanted to go and actually live. And the I was going to go anywhere. They were going to give me an opportunity, to be honest. I thought Shanghai was probably going to be a potential one or even at some point Mumbai was in the conversation. But the reality is that without speaking Mandarin, it was quite difficult to get a real opportunity in China. So I tried for a while, but it didn't really land anywhere. And then when they said there is an opportunity to be based in Singapore, I just took it. There's lots of things that I like about Singapore, but I think one, one thing that strikes me as one of the things I appreciate the most is it's a very international place, but it's a very Asian international place in that sense. You have so many influences from Japan, Korea, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, India, and it's surprising how much the kind of original content, whether it's food or, or other things, it's actually here because I was in Japan for 12 days recently. And there's so many things that you see there that you've seen in Singapore too. Oh, we have this bakery shop too. Oh, we have this fast food chain as well. Oh, we have this restaurant too. And so you really have a true slice of lots of different countries in one city, which makes it really fun if you're a foodie and if you're open to trying different foods you go down a street just like it's considered k-town there's plenty of korean barbecues next to each other and you're really basically in korea for like two hours that you're in there and that makes it really for me really fun especially if food is an important part of your life (laughs) even more yeah that has been another aspect of brazil that i love in sao paulo specifically i think that ability to feel like there's so many different cultures in the melting pot is so special to a few places in the world. And they have stronger influence. For example, there's more Asian food than Spanish food, for example, right, in Singapore. But to have that availability there and to experience it is so lovely. That yeah. is awesome. In terms of activities, so I've heard that Singapore, and I think this is my experience too, I don't know if it's just because of the way that I lived it during traveling, But I feel Singapore has maybe fewer activities than some of the other Asian countries. How do you feel about that as an activity person? I think the criticism stems from the fact that the country is very small. So you do need to go out of Singapore if you want to do certain things, right? So if you want to hike a mountain, but there's no mountains here. If you want to ski, certainly you're not anywhere close anywhere to ski. But even if you want to do a road trip, you can't really do that. If you want to go to the countryside, there's no countryside. But if you take it for what it is, which is really a city, I think it's a city that has loads and loads to offer. It's a staple stop of every single band that travels to Asia. So you have access to whichever concert, whichever type of band that you like to listen to. And I 
listen to also fairly indie stuff and they show up here too. There's the Singaporean Grand Prix, which is really fun time with lots of concerts and events. They have a lot of very interesting museums. There's a lot of outdoor activity you can do very easily as long as the stuff you can do in a city. So you cycle, you swim, you play tennis, you do other stuff, very easy to do. I guess what is really lacking is that we can get away type of activity, but it's so easy to do here. You just get a low cost flight to Bali, two hours, you're there, you can pay 20 bucks and you're there. If you're smart, you can do it. You could be clever and do it very cheaply. So I don't miss any of that, but I get the point of compared to living in other country, you do have to get out of this country if you want to do some of that. Fair enough, fair enough. And you've been to Taiwan before too, right? Yes. In what cities? When was this? I went to Taiwan in 2019. It was actually the first trip that I did with my girlfriend that we went anywhere. It's quite fun. We were only there for a weekend, funny enough. We were only there for three days. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. But we decided that because we we're going to be there for three days, and you, this is my style of traveling, but my style of traveling is I spend a stupid amount of time looking at maps and my decision on where we go is based on what place looks interesting on Google Maps. I decided that if you have three days and there's no point in going to Taipei because they would be only Taipei then if we want to see other things. So we decided to instead rent the car and do a little bit of a road trip. So there's a couple of very touristy places on just south of Taipei on the little on the hills. I will completely butcher the name, so I won't even try Shofen, Shofen, I believe. I don't know the geography well. There you go. But Shinju or Jilong, ring a bell? Oh. Before, before. Shofen. There's little towns. Yes, yeah, there's little towns on the hills, and they're famous because one of them looks like a house-moving castle, and that's what people call and they're very pretty. There's all these cafes you can go and stuff, and then we drove down the Tarok Gorge. We did the whole Taroko Gorge, very pretty, very pretty road. But of course, we decided to go past where all the tourists go and go all the yeah. way up the mountain. So we drove up to 3,000 meters from sea level. It was very fun. And uh, yeah, and then we drove to the middle where the tea plantations are and the hills are and stuff. It's, it's quite tough to navigate Taiwan inland if you don't speak the language. I'm lucky that my girlfriend can speak Chinese, but... <laughs> It would be very difficult, actually, to get around, especially when they don't really have a lot of picture for things. So you really need to be able to read. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I, of course, I can't read it, but it was quite fun. So loads of driving through mountains and staying in small towns. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. I love Taiwan. But yeah, that language part is huge. You're essentially just reading a bunch of photos, right, in the series, and there's no guessing around. So. It's not a very forgiving language, that is for sure. <laughs> yeah, but so, we'd love to go back. Yeah. Oh, man, that would be so fun if we could somehow link up there. What takeaways or memories do you look most fondly upon in your 20s? Because a lot of the listeners are in this phase now, and I think the themes that I hear across the podcast are figuring out what the heck we like to do and where we want mm-hmm. to live and who we want to be around. But I think the mobility of actually getting to explore a lot of that is quite low in some of these jobs or life decisions that people have made. So how do you think you navigated that? And are those similar things you feel you are embarking on as well? It's a very deep question. I think I was certainly very lucky. You mentioned that not everybody has a job that allows them to travel this much. And I think that I was lucky both to do the program and rotate every six months, but also to then have jobs that allowed me to travel beyond that and have a company that gave me the opportunity to then move and do different roles without having huge amount of prior experience on the faith and basis of, okay, you have done this job fairly well. I think you can try to do this one too. <laughs> I think there's so many things I look back for a lot of fondness of all the experiences I've had. I don't think that everybody needs to necessarily needs to necessarily travel or do things, right? Everybody has their own preference. And for some, that is more important than others. But I do get your comment around direction and where you're going to go. There's a few things over the years that I've heard that 
fleeting comments, things you hear on a podcast, or things someone you know says that sound really minor, but it might be stuck in your head. And the kind of couple that are big in my head are one from my old Mormon boss in the US he used to say, after three years, something has to change professionally, of course, like in a rush. Whether you get a promotion, you change job, you change country, some, something has to change. Like you can't be doing the same thing for more than three years. And I've tried to stick to that somewhat as much as I can. I remember when I lived in the US with my MA role, there was no push from anybody to make me move. I worked with a good team. I, I was happy in my role. I got to travel over the world. I really had no qualms. But I went and I told my boss, look, I'm going to do this one more year and then I'm going to find something else. So I preempted for you now and you can help me find the next role. And he did. He helped me connect with Enkin, who was my boss and your boss to some extent in your previous rotation. And, and I ended up landing that role. So to some extent, that's something I tried to I tried to stick with throughout my 20s was make sure every three years something new is going to happen in your professional life. If you can do that, whatever that is, whatever small world that might be for you, I think that can be a very powerful way to to get to experience a lot of things that don't feel like you're getting stuck. Even if you end up in a company for 10 years, like I did, if you look at it on the surface, I was basically a dinosaur, but I did so many different things. The other one, longer term that I have is I heard someone say that you have three big work phases in your life and they're all 10 to 15 years basically of each phase and they were using it to describe their life but I think I've noticed that after a certain period of time where you are in a certain comfort zone you probably end up maturing or wanting to look for something different there'd be a point where you want that transition to potentially happen longer term it's quite different from what you used to do and I tend to think of it like that I tend to think of it okay Every 10, 15 years on the big picture thinking, I got to be moving in a new direction, <laughs> the bigger change. Yeah, that's interesting thinking at that time scale. Because I feel for me right now, what I envision after this program is being somewhere for two years. And to me, I'm already like, wow, that is a damn long, right? Like after <laughs> operating after the six month time block since start of college, essentially, right? In 2017, you always have something changing in that half year period. But I do think, yeah, naturally, the time scale of change in terms of physically moving somewhere or a different job elongates out. And so thinking about 10 to 15, I have no clue. Let me add a caveat here, because I think (laughs) it sounds like I got my shit together way more than I do. I think you meet a lot of people, especially if you end up doing something like what we did, right? The Bigari program or other types of profession, where there's a lot of people that have high achievers or they want to achieve a lot of things. It can be quite scary when you hear all these people that have very clear ideas of what they want to be, right? Oh, I want to be the CEO of this company or I want to do this. I have never had any of that. I really am a go with the flow. And when the river bifurcates in two different directions, I'll pick where I I feel I want to go. So for me, it's more of a prompt almost to proactively try to then steer the boat in a different direction than a plan to say, oh, I know what's going what's gonna to happen in five years, or I know where I want to be in 10 years or in 15 years. So those questions, I've always found them very, I can't give an answer, but it's, it's yeah. a made up answer to make someone happy. I, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. And totally. uh, I was lucky that one of my mentors in Halma, actually, who is Arnie Animoshir, who is the CFO of Alma US, or at least was at the time, I think now it's a different role, but he's still there. I once confessed this to him. I said, hey, look, I don't know what I want to do. And he said, don't worry. I don't know either. And I'm in my 50s now and I'm the CFO of a company. So it's fine. You don't have to yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have that written down. Totally. Yeah. And I feel a part of why I'm not stressed about or honestly think much about that specifically is because the skills and the way that the world will be also that far down, I have no clue. I mean, people who are planning, oh my gosh, let me take this trip or that job in 2020, 2021, and COVID hits. You just never know. I think a part of our generation, like recently graduating out of that time period, have just become like okay with the tumultuous uncontrollables in a way that just try to set yourself up 
to be able to make decisions because to me that's privilege and value like if I can choose what to do in a crazy time then I have the power to create the life that I want and get the things that I want out of it even in the hardest times but because of that I don't know what next crazy thing is going to happen but perhaps it's a bit of a pessimistic view that makes me not as stressed out versus other people who I think are confident that the world in five, 10 years can be similar to now, I think can have more clear goals and path in that way. What's your take on all of that? And your take on what you think the world will be in 10 years? I think in this sense, we're probably similar. I don't try to make big overarching plans because who knows what what that's going to be really like. It's so hard to predict. I would have never imagined if I look back or when I was 17 and someone told me, oh, you're going to be in the UK for university, I would have said, what? why? Like, why there? Like, why Southampton? <laughs> it's such a random place to go. But then down that path of following that river, at some point, I decided I wanted to do aerospace engineering and Southampton is one of the best schools. And that's where I ended up going. So there's other examples throughout that that are like that. So I'm with you, especially if you are in your 20s, you shouldn't really worry too much about <laughs> that. I, Since I am now over the other side, I tend to think about it looking a bit back and a bit forward. I think when your role becomes a bit more maybe senior in that sense, I think you need a bit more time to see the impact too, right? If you're a sole contributor and you do a very specific task, you can probably see your impact very fast. But if you are going to manage and take a long-term view, especially in a role like mine with innovation, then you need to stay a little bit to see where it leads and whether you're really making an impact. Where is the world going to be in 10 years? I think the big shift, right, with AI, I don't know. That's such an odd variable that is so hard to quantify for me. There are days where I think, gosh, I'm going to be out of a job in five years. And there are days where it actually dumb. Then I go, no, never mind. This is still... 50 years away from being anything useful. So I don't know. I saw a comment, I think it was on Twitter, BC or one of those, I can't remember who this person was, but they made a comment about how no matter what technology transition there is, the problem is people don't change as fast as technology and things stay way longer than you think, right? I still have friends that in their job, they have fax machines and people fax them things. Right. And you're thinking in today's world, why would that be even a thing? There's so many things that stay. And even if some roles and some things change because technology makes them more useful, they don't change in a homogeneous way. Nobody goes, oh, now I can do this with AI. So I'm just going to change my whole company or my whole process. And this is going to take over the world. Even if you think about the big changes that maybe have happened in the last 10 years, say mobility apps. To be honest, is that different from taking a taxi at the end of the day today? It's not really. The promise that they brought over didn't really happen in the big glamorous way they thought. And now basically they end up being regulated everywhere they go. And you end up taking it almost like a taxi. The only difference is that you call it with an app instead of calling it by a phone call. So I don't know. I think that there's been a big shift. I think that there's been because of all the stuff happening with COVID. I think we've gone through a very big shift in remote work and attitude towards that. And I think that's been a big change and maybe won't be as big in the next few years because we've gone through through that massive change recently, but who knows? Yeah, totally. Fair. I think I agree with all of that, actually. But I do wonder about the infrastructure in the physical world and humans getting along with each other, I guess. Maybe it's because I just don't know much about like plumbing. Like, how does that actually work? Or city infrastructure, sometimes it's gross and doesn't really function. And if there's a lot of humans in food as well, like... Farming, I don't really understand how I get my food every single day, like tracing the whole supply chain of that. And I wonder some of those things of, okay, AI building like a functioning sewage thing, that feels a little bit far away. And I feel that is where, I don't know if the way that we're developing these things can support the amount of procreation of humanity. But I think part of it is because I just know so little that I'm skeptical of how it works. And I, I feel those see. skills to survive in that, I would have no idea how to function if I couldn't get my own food with money. Yeah. <laughs> I do think the rate of technological change is definitely much faster now than it used to be. And it's a worry that I have for myself, right? Is at some point, do I become obsolete? I don't think that 
necessarily mm. people that were born 100 years ago had to maybe 100 years ago already starting to be a little bit worried but even then this changes still happen over a fairly long time scale and now they happen faster so i think we live in a world where we need to continuously update ourselves to, totally. <laughs> to keep up but that's why i'm also a big proponent of universal basic income but maybe that's a different conversation for another time there you go i've revealed my 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 political leanings. <laughs> Your strongest political belief. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess headed now into your thirties. What do you have big life milestones that you've set for yourself in the thirties? Professionally, I'm in a new role where I'm actually trying to build my own team now. So there's that big question I have to answer for myself to some extent of can I actually do that? But I spent my twenties being a sole contributors. In the end, I was only responsible for myself, a collaborator, but nonetheless, with not as much management experience. So for me, that's the big next step. And then can I build something that actually can last, right? Can I leave a lasting impact? Because when you are below and you look at your managers, you always think, oh, these people, they could do things so much better, right? If I were there, I would do all these things. So now I'm at least somewhere there in the middle. And I'm like, so now I have the chance to do something. And I got to see if I can actually do it. So that's my professional challenge. And I mean, personally, uh, we are at a point where, of course, thinking about having your own family and stuff becomes important as well, if you if that's something you care about. Uh, and that's the other piece, I guess, for me in the next few years. And a lot of my friends, of course, are getting married, having babies. So you get exposed to that peripherally. And then at some point, it's going to be my time. That's wild to think about. I, I don't remember hearing that you really liked kids no or maybe I'm remembering wrong you have an idea of how many you would want and the type of environment and values you would want to raise them in my girlfriend I have this conversation all the time <laughs> I think two is fine I said I don't want to not have siblings I guess but but beyond two it's it sounds like a lot too much work so two, two is fine I'm happy couldn't <laughs> go beyond that. It's interesting. To some extent, my mindset has always been one of I want people. And I say people because I think of my parents, my sisters, my friends, my girlfriend, anybody asked me for advice to, to make their own mistakes, try things. I've had the luxury to be in an environment where I could do that. And and I, that would be my priority there instead of being so forceful with certain beliefs or certain ways of living, want them to do X or want it to be this thing. I would just want them to explore and figure it out for themselves and do stupid things and have scars because they jumped over a fence that they shouldn't have and get fired from a job because they were stupid or I don't know, get too drunk one night and don't remember where they went and lose their wallet, whatever it is, they should get there on this by themselves. I don't want them to learn based on preconceived ideas I might have. Totally. Yeah, I respect that a lot. Though I also wonder if maybe I have these idealistic views because I haven't been there done that in a way. And the older I get, I'm like, okay, I get, you know, why my parents would think this and that, especially with the cultural and generational difference. And then I think, oh my gosh, I'm going to be the boo in that situation. I really have no clue. So, yeah. I am a total boomer. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> uh, I am extremely... Is this change for all, for all that I seem? At least, let's put it this way. I am a very hard to convince person. So before you make me change something I do, you, you really have to try really hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I have not even actually figured out how to see the pictures that you mentioned in your podcast episodes. I'm not really sure where I'm supposed to see them. See, that's what I'm feeling. I don't even know. I didn't even know how to make an IG story until six months ago. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, I have no care for most of these different apps and push out. And like, I'm frustrated by the way a lot of these stupid apps work. They could go off on Microsoft. These aren't as yes. usable as I feel like they should be given our technological age. But yeah, maybe it's a Google thing because you listen off of there. Actually, no, I use the Apple podcast. I listen to it on my Oh, Apple podcast. Okay, I don't know if I've tried that. So that's funny. The, oh, yeah, I only see your your cover. The cover the art. Yeah, I don't see the pictures that you reference in your episodes. Yeah. I have to send you like. I, I thought I was the problem. I thought it was me, but. <laughs> no, it's probably just some platform thing. <laughs> it's easy to blame it on that. So. Yeah, so would you want to raise your family in Singapore? And what is the education system like? My boss 
is from China and he relocated here with his family and grew up his kids here. And I asked him this question. I said, hey, would you raise your kids? And he told me that the education system until elementary school here, primary school here is very good, but he would encourage high school to be somewhere else. That's what I heard from him. I haven't really made up my mind on, I think a little bit like I've done other things. I'll take it a little bit as it goes, but I think as long as I can give kids the opportunities that I've had to live in a different country, do an exchange program, do other things, I think that will enrich them wherever they grow up. I certainly would like them to be able to speak Italian, but for no other reason that I highly value speaking more than one language, to be honest, it doesn't have to be Italian, but I think that would be the easiest one. And that way they can talk to my parents too. <laughs> and But that that's to me probably the priority in experiences. And then I've met people from all over the world and they're all talented, they're all good. So Sometimes I think we get too fixated on what the school can do. And as long as you are not good in a horrible place, you do probably come out okay. Yeah, totally. We're all just average at the end of the day. That's a more cynical way to look at it. We're all good. That would be my take. Yeah, we're all good. But then if we're all good, we're all average. Fair enough. You sent me a list of things you wanted to ask me. And I prepared all sorts of other things. (laughs) I was trying to be a good guest. Okay, let's do it. Honestly, I That's made that list when I first started. Yeah, and then you changed. Questions, and then I have been yeah, yeah. so bad at sticking with them, and I forget that people like think about this before. So we no to some so extent, I think it's good. No, I was just curious about those questions, but I found that everyone's the moments that they blow up in their lives are different, and so it's fun just like riffing off of it yeah, yeah. a little bit. But I am so curious about some of those. So is there one that you really want to share? <laughs> we could start there. Okay, okay. I'm trying to think. There was one thing I think you wanted to ask about a strong belief or a way of life or a life motto. I think you put it that way. I always used to say called uh, Pantare, which is an ancient Greek word that, that means everything flows. So in Italy, depends on which school you go, but in many schools, you end up doing philosophy in class, and that's something you learn in high school. And as you can imagine, you do a chronological order. So the closer you get to today, the more complicated and convoluted things get, right? So everybody loves the Greek philosophers because the Greek philosophers are very simple. Their thinking was a lot. So everybody thinks they're cool. And one of the, the very, very first one, if you ever do philosophy in Italy, if you're 16 and you're going to Italy, you probably learn about this guy called Heraclitus. And Heraclitus was this philosopher that lived in ancient Greece, but really in modern Turkey. And he had this say called Pantare, which basically his story was, if you swim in a river, you're not really swimming in the same river the next day, you're swimming in a different river, because it's not really the same water you're touching. It's not really the same thing you're being in. And it, it's this, there's all this thing that he used to have with a, another Greek philosopher between being and becoming. And it's all philosophies around, we are never being. We're in a state of becoming all the time, right? We're always changing. And I think that's how I try to think about my life to try to help me also look at it in a positive way. And then tell me appreciate today because I might like where I am right now or what I'm doing. You might like where you are in, you're in Brazil, you're in Sao Paulo now, but that's going to change again. So it helps you appreciate that. But also I think it's important to remember that the natural state of things is actually a changing state. I feel a lot of our grievances in life come from trying to stick to what we have, whichever way it is. And so that's a big thing that I try to keep with me throughout my life. That's amazing. I respect that you still have this belief even after a lot of change too, because I think sometimes it can be tiring. Another interpretation is that if things change, they change, they don't, they go. Like it's not forcibly changing or forcibly restraining. It's just kind of going with it. Yeah, just try not to hold on to it for longer than it needs to be and appreciate it for when you have it to some extent. That's a Marco take on poor Heraclitus who probably was trying to be a lot more grandiose with his thinking than I am, but that's how I take it. <laughs> yeah, I think it becomes difficult when it involves other people though for me. I guess when it gets more to the feelings and how it impacts someone else. But I feel, yeah, in other parts of my life, it resonates strongly. Oh, yeah. It's tough. But anything is tough, right? Or anything is great. Yeah. Holding on to your belief, I think certainly when I was 
20 or 25. I thought I was going to believe the same things forever, but then you really don't. You really do change. Sometimes it's even hard to accept. You're like, I actually don't see this as strongly as I used to. But there are certain things that I try to always keep in mind or remind myself, help me live a better life. So yeah, this is one of those. Totally. That's cool. That reminds me of the question that I said, is there something? Ah, I kept flip-flopping between two answers. So maybe I can both. <laughs> I guess one is I'm proud of being where I am. And what I mean by that is, oh, that ended up where I am or the journey I've done. I was born in a fairly remarkable area of Italy. The idea of adventure for a lot of people that I know from when I was a kid is going to Rome two hours away is wow, doing a big thing. And so having lived in so many different places, we've done so many different things. It's something I look with very fondly of, of the actual journey, right? Not just that I'm here now, but that I ended up doing this journey across so many different places and so many different things. And I guess, I don't know if proud is the right word, but I certainly hold very dear to my heart all the, the friendships and the relationships that I've established throughout the world with so many different people, with so many, many different paths of life. That's something in particular, having really close connections with people from different ages, different taxes, different countries, different backgrounds, different languages. It's something I try to hold on to as much as I can and try to cultivate. It's a continuous thing you have to do. You have to reach out, you have to talk, you have to meet. I'm a terrible texter and always good at that, but those relationships I'm, I'm very proud of. Yeah, that's huge. How do you think some of those friendships have evolved over time, especially as you were saying, they're starting their own families? I think the biggest thing that changes with time is time that you can dedicate to those <laughs> we become busier with our own life right like partners kids family or maybe even your parents aging there's also a lot of things there's part of me inside that wants to scream for more time and attention there's the teenage me that goes oh i want to play video games for 12 hours and just spend all weekend doing something silly so you have to somewhat accept that but also maybe i take a lot more the role of being proactive with that I think adults fall more into that lazy state of, I'll meet my friends if they reach out, but if they don't, it's okay. I have my own hobby, I have my own thing. So I try to be proactive with that. And I'm very thankful that I have a partner that is very good at supporting and helping me with that. And she jokes, she's my secretary, but she's very good at helping me. I am the idea generator and she helps me execute it. So like, oh, we should all do this. Okay. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> It works. Complimentary. I think one thing that hits me every time I move in these six months is that all my friendships are pretty much long distance, mm -hmm. at least the pre-existing ones, right? Like yes. I appreciate that I can make a lot last here, but then I go again. And I think because of the long distance though, it makes me think about those friendships more than I think some of my other friends who feel they have more of a stable physical mm -hmm. community. And so even this podcast, I feel like it's just such an obvious way to catch up with people and have a channel for people to share their stories and ask questions that probably I wouldn't if it was just a normal call. Honestly, some of these conversations with friends, I would just have normally, but depending on the person, they kind of haven't really reached out in four or five years since pre-pandemic in college, for example. People have found this channel as a nice way to just talk and catch up. But how is that any different really than just like a FaceTime? But yeah, I think- yeah. I don't know. I've seen that evolve now. It's post-grad. I think people are more open to that random reach out. Whereas during college, there's this stigma about it or everyone's trying to chase after something and the flashy thing. But now we're all independent. And I think because of that, you don't have that set community necessarily. So yeah, no, that's interesting. But I also wonder how long this will last. Is this just a hobby that'll be, I don't know, two, three months did or that's fine then you'll find something else to do yeah whatever exactly. it is yeah but it's you so. being proactive right it's you reaching out it's you making this happen and i think there were times where you might get a bit resentful be like hey why doesn't my friend call me or like why didn't they try to say one thing to me i've learned to really let that go completely and be like look doesn't matter yeah if i want to meet them i'll reach out and i'll make it happen and you find out that people actually do want to meet you but they just maybe don't have the bandwidth to think about. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. People are going through whatever they're going through. Big takeaway from this experience so far is people are really open and receptive to sharing if you just want to listen and 
even people you haven't chatted with in so long and it's fun to cross in these time paths for a little bit but respect that we're all doing our own thing in a way too so yeah beautiful yeah i know you're um, making me think of doing something similar myself so <laughs> yeah go for it i think I, it would be so fascinating to hear about other people's friends as well i think most of my yeah. friends have found this podcast a fun way to vicariously catch up with people who they used to know uh-huh. or chat with but don't necessarily have that relationship or want or time yeah. But they've also found it a fun way to meet other people from different parts of my life that they don't know, but helps you understand, oh, this is like where she came from or this philosophy of life or just getting to know other random strangers in the world who you have one person connection with. So I would love to hear everyone's version of this as well. But now that I'm asking my lightning round, like content recognition, I am behind on things. I think there's probably only two people who have listened to all of my episodes and it's because they listen to it at like 2.5 speeds. So it's too much to consume sometimes, but like I would be fascinated to get tidbits of all my friends' versions of this. And then truly that would start to realize the whole philosophy that you're seven connections away from anyone in the world, which probably is even smaller now. But I think then that would really just be a crazy spoke. Yeah. I support you. <laughs> and you have the mic set up. Maybe we can maybe we can do a call out. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I can offer you my friends to interview. <laughs> You're a good interviewer. That's I give you credit. You're good at this. Learning along the way. As everything. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Do your lightning round so you can save it. There you go. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Lightning round, we go. What is one thing you wish everyone knew? See, now that I think about it, I could not come up with something that I really wish everyone knew. I think if there was one thing that I thought that came out to my mind, and it is the Italian in me, is that there is no cream in carbonara. Please do not cream to carbonara. Thank you. That's good. That's a good PSA. Yeah. What are three things that you can't live without besides the necessities for all humans? Feel free to also... Explain what you think are necessities for all humans. Yeah, no, I agree with your statement of, you know, I consider the phone at least today necessity. <laughs> for me, it would be Excel. I use Excel on every single part of my life. I think doing stuff with my friends. So as I say, like not just meeting, but actually activities and doing something fun with my friends would be second. And then third would be change. I have this, I always joke with my girlfriend, I have this craving. I'll go on a complete fixation with one food for a month and then I'll get sick of it and I'll be like okay okay next 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 thing yeah <laughs> so change whatever that is yes yeah, I, get, I get bored of things yeah makes sense content recommendations I will just take it one I did listen to Tyler's podcast and he had so many recommendations he threw out like a five minute list but I did listen to a couple including Yuichi Sakamoto's electronic music he did mention that one and they've been listening to that while I work from my end I think if people haven't had a chance I think they should watch this Netflix show it's an animated show by an Italian guy who typically does them in Italian but Netflix dubbed in English called Tear Along the Dotted Line it's a six episode show for 20 minutes it gives a really good perspective of what it is like to be a young person in Italy, a young professional, in all the wrong ways. As in, you'll get to say the CEO, a sense of why this really and why it's so hard to actually build a proper professional career in Italy. It's a quite it's a funny show. It's very entertaining, but it can be quite dark at times. So it, interesting. It's, it's very popular in Italy and I think he made a really good show. I made it, my girlfriend watch it. She enjoyed it too. Amazing. I'll have to give it a check out. And I respect that it's digestible. Not like a five season five season thing and you come out with one takeaway. (laughs) No, exactly. You can watch the whole thing. So yeah. That's brilliant. I think directors, producers, actors, whatever, everyone involved who can have such a meaningful feeling or takeaway in such a short amount of time is so cool. I don't have that brain cell. All right. Cool. Anything else you want to share with the world for today? Oh, no, just thank you for having me. It was very fun. We can certainly have another chat some other time. I didn't have a chance to see you in a while. So very happy to see you're doing well and very privileged to be the oldest member, the oldest interviewer. Well, so, thank you for jumping on. Thank you for on. listening I, to this old. Well, I feel so lucky that 
you are down to hop on a Zoom chat for two hours in your evening. So yeah, super appreciate and we'll definitely keep in touch. Just message me on WhatsApp, whatever, like curiously how you go get along. Really amazing. Will do. Enjoy your dinner, Marco. Thank you. Thanks, Shannon. Enjoy right. the rest of your day. Cheers. Bye. And that's a wrap for now. Marco Placidi, everyone. See you on the next episode of Who Let the Dogs Out, a podcast where I chat life with cool people doing awesome things.